we are going to continue our Core 52 series. That's this book. If you don't have one and you want one, they're out in the lobby underneath the flat screen TV. It's like what you might call a devotional, if you are so inclined. It's a, a weekly, few pages every week, walking through topics. And the idea is at the end of a year, you would know and be familiar with 52 of the biggest themes in the Bible. And there's scripture, and there's additional scriptures, and there's um, essays and, and application steps for each theme throughout the week. So check that out. I think it's a, uh, very useful. Um, this morning, we are going to talk about one of the topics in the book. I think it's on page, what is it, 270 of Core 52. We're going to talk about racism and what the Bible says about racism and how we can respond to uh, racial tension, race relations, whatever. Um, and and what, what I think you'll see is that racism as a topic is huge in the scriptures. It is an underlying theme in much of the Bible's narrative. It just uh, sort of, uh, in many cases, um, is, is just below the surface. So, um, let's, let's unpack the topic by talking about nerd camp. I went to uh, nerd camp. I don't think I told this story. Maybe I did, but um, it hasn't been recent. So uh, I went to nerd camp um, in the, uh, the summer after my fifth grade year. And it was at Hiram College. <clears throat> and I, I, to this day, can't believe I gave up two weeks of my summer vacation uh, to go to, like, school. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, um, one of the experiments at this camp was uh, in, in, in the, one of the Hiram classrooms, there was an incubator and there were eggs. And uh, we carefully injected a red dye into three eggs and blue dye into one egg. And in a few days we came in and the, the eggs hatched. And there were three red chicks and one blue chick. It was interesting. Wow, look, it's a blue chick and then three red chicks. And we were all excited. Uh, but what it turned out is this wasn't really a science experiment. This was a social experiment because the next day when we came in, um, the, the three red chicks had smothered the one blue chick. And I never, I've never forgot that. That it, it was within, it might have been up in the next day, but the, the, the first couple days of life, like as soon as they had their wits about them, somehow, and I don't know how it worked, they gathered as a group of like-colored beings and killed the different colored chick. And I never forgot that. Um, it, was a, it was just a ghostly reminder of what is going on deep down in nature. For, you know, somehow, some reason, that's a thing. And that, that impacted me profoundly um, as I grew up. Because I, I grew up in Maslin, Ohio, and uh, racial tension was huge in my school. Um, I had to be very careful, everyone had to be very careful uh, not to come across in any way as racist at school or we may not get home. Uh, it may be, who knows what would happen after school. 
that was a regular part. So, so I grew up understanding that racism was out there. I was exposed to racism. I believed in racism. And I also, because I was familiar with Scripture, believed that it was wrong in all its forms. Doesn't mean that I'm above it or was above it. It just means I believed that it was wrong in all its forms. Well, I got to college um, and majored in, in Bible and ministry. And like most people with that major in my college in Kentucky, I, um, I got a little side preaching gig at a little country church and was their um, pastor, their preacher, for lack of a better word, on, on the weekends, on Sunday mornings. And I would go and I would give a, do a one-hour Bible study, um, Sunday school type thing before the service, and then give the sermon. And um, there, there, were, there were only probably 25 to 30 people in this little church, little country church. And about half, 15, would come to this little Bible study uh, at the beginning of the, you know, the, of the morning. And I was gathered there in a room, and, and I, I said, you know, I was 20 years old. And, and I said, uh, we're going to talk about the book of James today, and we're going to talk about racism. And there was a little old lady there named Margie, and Margie was a pillar in the church. Margie had led worship. She was 197 years old, and she had led worship since the revolution. And, um, and she's there in that class, and, and I said, we're going to talk about racism, book of James today, and she said, and I'll never forget it, can't we just talk about the Bible? I hate talking about topics. Let's talk about the Bible. And I said, well, well we are. We're going to talk about James, and James talks about racism. I don't want to talk about racism. I want to talk about the Bible. And I said, Margie, you don't think the Bible talks about racism? No. Margie, you don't think God cares if we're racist or not? Not particularly, no. And I'll never forget that. Not particularly, no. And I'm 20 years old, and I realize she speaks for the room. And it was a very awkward Bible study for that hour. Um, but it amazed me, and here's the thing, we're, we're not above it. I'm not above it. We're, we're not above it. Um, but, but I was amazed that you could be in church your whole life, very familiar with Scripture, and yet not make connections. And this, this isn't just racism. This, this spans, like I learned a lot about the Bible that day. We can be right in it and not make certain connections because there's something in our heart that doesn't want to make those connections. So what I want to do is walk through um, just, just a few moments in Scripture and show you that, that what a huge issue race was, prejudice was, 
And then we'll talk a little bit about God's response to that, okay? So let me start. This is just, just a couple examples in the New Testament just to show you what's going on below the surface, okay? So this is John 4, very famous passage of Scripture called the, the, it's the woman at the well, or the Samaritan woman, okay? This is verse 9. The Samaritan woman, race, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. So there, you know, race, gender divides just thrown out there right now. How can you ask me for a drink? And this is parentheses, it's actually there in the scriptures. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Samaria was a region in the midst of Palestinian territory, and um, in their past, during exiles and things, they had sort of um, mixed marriages and relations and religions and practices and cultures with Gentiles, meaning non-Jews, in that region, and then population over the centuries, and it got to where, as a race, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Now, there's gender stuff in there, too, but Jews would often walk all the way around Samaria, adding days to a journey, if necessary, as a statement, like to avoid it. They wouldn't speak, obviously, to Samaritans, so much so that this, that this Samaritan woman can't fathom how this rabbi, this Jewish cultural leader, would be interacting with her. Jesus probably would have been identified from like rabbinical clothing. So you see that, that, there, that like, like there, there's racial tension right there. This one's kind of spelled out, but it's still... And, and again, as we talk through this, I do not, especially in a sermon about racism... I don't want to come across as anti-Semitic. This is just, the scriptures are the story of God interacting with Jews, highs and lows. And what we really realize as we read the scriptures is it's really all of us. But it, this, is, this is confined to, to Jewish troubles because it's, that's what the Bible is essentially about, God's relationship with his people, the Jews, and the highs and lows for us all from all backgrounds, to see what's going on in, in humanity. And you can clearly see here that racism uh, was a thing. And what did Jesus do? He just ignored, like, he ignored it in the sense that it wasn't a thing for him. He bridged the gap. He reached over the racial and gender divide, the division divide. He reached over, and he has a... Uh, incredible, gracious conversation with uh, this Samaritan woman. Now, let's look at another story in Acts 6. <coughs> in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, among them complained, that's, that's the, like the, the Jews of a Greek background, complained 
against the Hebraic Jews, the Jews with the Jewish background, with an Israelite background, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So widows of one race are being overlooked by widows or, or while, while, um, while widows of a certain race are getting enough, widows of another race are being overlooked. Now the interesting thing in this, and this is one, another thing that I love about the scriptures, I talk about this a lot, so much of the Bible uh, is meant to be observed and wrestled with. Like it doesn't always say, here's the implications. You got to mine and do the work. So what you see in the book of Acts, and this is, this is fascinating, and it should like, it should unnerve us in our own walk with Jesus, okay? Book of Acts chapter 2 starts off, the, the church explodes into life. The Holy Spirit fills the believers Miracles are happening. People's hearts are changing. There's incredible, intense community and friendship and fellowship and relationship and connection. And people are sharing their goods and resources and selling property and bringing it together so that everybody has enough. And it's just good thing after good thing, amazing thing after amazing thing, heart transformation. All these great things are happening. <clears throat> and then you get to chapter 6. And widows are being overlooked based on race. So we see this incredible tendency in the human heart to divide, like even when other great things are happening, great parts of growth, like, like we see these good things happening to our soul and, and behavior changing, but maybe one of the last things to go is our deep, ingrained, whatever the right word is, tendency to divide, to separate, to show favoritism, racism, whatever it is, um, that's still alive in the midst of all the transformation that is happening. So if we're wise, if we follow Jesus, even though we may have a lot of good life change, um, we better be looking for that in our own life and make sure that that's not manifesting itself in different places. Okay, so here's what I want to do. <clears throat> I want to go to Acts 10. And if you don't mind, could, could we have a little more house light? Um, is that Leslie up there? Thank you, Leslie. If you don't mind, grab a Bible in front of you if you can get to one. And, and turn to Acts 10, and let's just walk through, let's take 15 minutes, 10 minutes, and do a little Bible study of our own here, because I want you to see how this plays out. When somebody has Acts 10, can you yell out the, <coughs> say again, 1017, 1017. And I'm going to start in verse 1 and just kind of skip around a little bit. So it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known 
as the Italian regiment. So here we got some race stuff going. This is a story about Peter. There's John the Baptist, and it turns out there's Peter the racist. Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about Peter, who is a Jew with Jewish background, and then Cornelius, and he is Italian. A Jew, prejudiced against Italian. Can you believe that? Anyone? Anyone? That is the greatest mafia movie Bible tie-in ever. Right here on stage, Polaris Christian Church. I could retire today. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. So Peter's in Joppa, Cornelius is in Caesarea, which is one of the most beautiful places on the planet, if you've never been there. Peter is a follower of Jesus with a Jewish background. Um, uh, Cornelius is like a Roman official Italian it ain't going to mix well. Peter at this point also believes that all of God's blessing is first and foremost for Jews converting to Christianity. So there's a problem. God is ready to open the doors so that his gospel, the kingdom of God, is open to all people. But Peter, who's the leader of the church, the Jesus movement, still thinks racially. Okay, and God's about to do some surgery on his heart here. Okay? So I'm going to go in, in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on a journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So the three guys are going from Cornelius to get Peter. Ain't no way Peter's going to go with them, because he's not going to go down into Gentile territory, into the home of a Gentile. Okay? So that's where his heart is at the moment. Even though he just spent three and a half years with Jesus and is leading this new, incredible, explosive Jesus movement, his heart is not ready to cross the racial divide. Uh, he became hungry, wanted something to eat. <clears throat> While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So, racial tendencies, uh, prejudice tendencies are so deep that this is going to require a trance. This is going to require something supernatural for God to do in Peter's heart. He's not going to get it just from thinking through some teachings. God has to do some major surgery, so he basically puts him under, okay? He saw heaven opened, something like a large sheet 
being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter is so entrenched in his traditions that he's second-guessing the voice of God. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Now, it goes on, and I hope you'll, you know, in your own time this week, read the rest of, um, of chapter 10 there and see what God does through this, because what God does through this is, is through this moment, God opens the doors, and, um, and, and now Peter realizes this is for everybody. This Jesus thing is for everybody. But to get there, God attacks a pillar. See, Jewish faith was built on, uh, in many ways, um, Jew Jewish culture, Jewish life, I should say, was built on categorizing. From ancient, ancient times, um, God created categories so that people in archaic times could have a very clear sense of this is clean, this is unclean. Do this, don't do this. It was all a series of do this, don't do this, good, bad, good, bad. It was, uh, the, best, the best way that I have ever um, heard it put is this. Is if, if, um, it's my understanding that in like, in, in, um, in like big deal uh, uh, rehab for addiction, there is a regimen. Like, this is the time that you wake up. This is the time that you eat your breakfast. This is the time that you exercise. This is the time that you write in your gratefulness journey. This is the time that you meditate. This is the time. Like, you don't just... Someone trying to create a whole new life. You don't just say, hey, whatever. You're, you're, you're regimented with the hope then that the, the individual could, could then find their own flow to life once they, once they get things in order. Well, in the same way, the Old Testament has a lot of like, hey, wear this, don't wear this. Be around these people, don't be around these people. Get all of this out of your life. But one of the, one of the pillars was eat this, not that. Clean food, unclean food. And, and this was a pillar, pillar in Jewish life. The food categories. And what God does through that vision is he crushes the pillar. Like that just, that, that's un, it is unthinkable for a Jew to eat something or touch something, a food that was unclean. So when God says, hey, eat whatever you want, and Peter's like, no way! It's because it's, it's that level of, and God basically says, stop calling what God has made clean 
unclean. And then Peter wakes up with that, with that, um, uh, with those, with those words, unclean, clean. Stop calling what God has made clean unclean. <coughs> and that's what it took to shake him. I mean, that there's no way. Like even when I'm reading this, th there's just no. There's no way that I can get my brain around the level of, of, of disruption that God brought into Peter's life through that vision. That, that is a, a radical new way of thinking about every, like, like You'd question everything. If you were a Jew in Peter's time, and God told you, hey, there's no more clean or unclean food in a vision. What's even real? I mean, God just, 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 that's a wrecking ball vision. Which then led Peter to uh, be open-minded to this next move that God was going to make. Where now, even Italian, Roman men and women could be a part of the movement of God. And, and so Peter goes. And in obedience, Peter baptizes Cornelius and his family, and God shows the presence of the Holy Spirit descending on his family. And it's a whole new moment for the future of the church. There's maybe no place in Scripture more definitive that God is for all people. And that there is no place for racism or any kind of categorization of people in this new movement of God, what he came to do through Jesus. The wrecking ball was dropped on any kind of categorization of people with Acts 10. And so when we look at our approach to racism <coughs> as followers of Jesus. We can start with our example because time and again, if you read the Gospels, you just see Jesus crossing racial boundaries, uh, whether it's speaking with or actually serving, blessing, miracles. Jesus stomped all over common racial boundaries in his interactions with people, story after story after story. Bottom line is if we follow Jesus, there is just no place for even a hint of racism, sexism, like actual... There's just no place for it. And so, and, and then you look at, you look at uh, Acts 10... And there's just nothing God could have, I mean, just a, all I can say is the wrecking ball. And so when we look at our place in a racially tense world, um, I just don't see how, how we can do anything but respond in, in ways that cross the divide. Uh, anything we do, any conversation, we can do nothing to contribute to racial divide. Everything we do needs to go toward opening the doors and, and, and including and loving 
people of different races and genders and backgrounds. Um, this is a love movement when Jesus said that the new command I give you, love one another, and, and you will be marked by, they will know you are followers of, of you'll, we're followers of Jesus. Love is the brand. And that being the case, it just, it's, and so, and so that leads me, I guess, to a couple different applications points, and that's number one, anything we can do in any moment to reach, to be the first to reach across a racial divide. Anything we can do to be the first to reach across a racial divide. And I look, I mean, hey, white people, like I, literally everybody here, literally everybody, I think, um, some kind of white, <laughs> some shade of white. And I, I don't know, I, there's nothing I can do about that. Um, I don't know, there probably is, but I don't know how, like I don't know how, okay, because Brunswick's pretty white. Just being real. But anything we can do throughout the day to reach across the racial divide, um, it, it's just a part of the narrative of anything we can do to reach across a racial divide. It, it needs to be a part of our behavior <coughs> because that's, that's what Jesus did. Set my, my second bit of advice, just real practical. <coughs> is that you take in um, books, audio books, whatever, from a different culture. Like for me, the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr., Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. There's a book called Cast, and I knew I would remember the author's name, and I forget her name now that I'm up here in real time. Um, Cast, Ta-Nehisi Coates, Between the World and Me. Those were books that when I didn't, it wasn't fun reading those. <clears throat> and the goal isn't for us to feel guilty, but it's helpful to understand the plight of people who are not like us and the past of people who are not like us. And that's one thing we can do to reach across a racial divide, and that was very helpful for me. Um, and I guess uh, the other thing that I would say, and this is just for me, this is like my little, um, uh, this is for me. I don't need to lead any kind of charge or take any kind of stand uh, that somehow, <clears throat> well, let me just be honest, the whole Chief Wahoo Guardians thing, Indians thing, like I, 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 miss, I miss the team I grew up with, but I don't think Jesus is going to come back and have his 10-minute press conference and say, and one thing, let's get this straight, that is ridiculous that they changed the name of that baseball team when we're reinstating Chief Wahoo. Like, uh, so, so I, I don't need to be out there at the, this is me, I don't need to be out there at the forefront of, of those kind, the, let's just, the, the whole, the, those kinds of things. I, that, that just, you know, I don't have enough life left to live for, for that to need to be my cause. Um, and, and I don't know, like, policies and things, like, you know, immigration, whatever. I, I know policies, are, but, but I just, let's be careful. Let's be careful that we not be perceived in any way, because we are the people of love, and we are the people, our example reached across all kinds of racial boundaries and gender boundaries. So let's not be perceived in any way as being a part of that problem. 
Let's be perceived as being welcoming and loving and inclusive. Because that's our example. That's our... I don't want to need a wrecking ball in my life. I don't want God's wrecking ball. Um... All right, so, so let's close with this one. Close with one last song. And here's, here's what the thought I want to leave you with. <clears throat> we're all a mess. Would you agree? And we're all equal if for no other reason that the only reason we have anything to stand on in this life is God's grace. And that's it. So, level playing field. One foot is in the grave. I mean, I'm 45. I hope I got a little while left, but one foot's in the grave. It's going to go quick. And the other foot is a wrecked human being only doing anything because of God's grace. And that's every human being that we lay eyes on. So, because we are a walking mess here from the grace of God alone, let's pass that out to everybody and let God sort the categories out. Let's just love and cross divides and, and do that and let God do all the other sorting. I, I don't need to fight those kinds of battles. I'll just stay in my lane and, and, and try, to, try to cross divides, try to extend love, try to extend the grace that God has given me. That's how... I think we would best use our energy to respond to uh, the racial tension all around us. All right, let's stand, right? We're standing and we're singing. Yes, sir. Let's pray. God, thank you for the grace that you've given us. We are a mess, and it must look ridiculous that we have this tendency to try to put ourselves above other people and do things to oppress other people and hit us with the wrecking ball and get that out of us and, and help us to enjoy the grace that we all stand and see your image in the eyes of everybody. In Jesus' name, amen.